congratulations to all of you for reaching the last of the Daily Bread series. That was me clapping you, so you didn't need to clap, but thank you anyway. Um, you've survived. Well done. Um, this uh, Today's going to be like a bit of a reflective, um, not as in kind of somber reflection, but as in um, thinking back kind of reflection, maybe some kind of wistful nostalgia of the things that we've talked about over the series. If this is your first time here, um, you're in luck because you're going to get a praises of the whole series, which is Rod's favorite word, um, also known as synopsis or summary. Um, I am going to do my very best in a very short amount of time to, go, to, to do a quick recap of the things that we've talked about to jog your memory before we do what is the most important thing today, which is to actually kind of like hear from each other um, about what has um, what we've been challenged about in the series. So we've got like lots of um, stations around which we're going to write on in a minute, which Rod is going to lead us. And um, before we do, I'll just do a, a quick uh, recap of some of the things that we talked about. I'm going to start by um, reading or by getting someone to read um, the Abba prayer, um, which is which is what we drew the series from. So would anyone like to read the Abba prayer for us? Those of you who don't have a microphone phobia. Abba God, who is in heaven, blessed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thanks. So the line in italics there is, uh, give us today our daily bread. And so this series has been all about thinking about um, what that line could mean for us. We live in Australia. Um, we live in North Fitzroy or the surrounding suburbs. Uh, we most, most of us in this community are incredibly fortunate in that we don't worry day to day about where our bread is going to come from. Um, Jesus was talking to primarily an agrarian society um, who depended on harvests. Um, And so they lived in a very different world than we did. And so what we wanted to do is explore whether this line gives us today our daily bread and what impact that might have on us and what kind of thinking it was alluding to. Um, What does it mean for us as people of the inner north um, to ask for bread as people who can get bread of our own, um, if you ask us, bread comes from our labor, from our work. And this idea is so common and so a part of us that it works itself out invisibly in the way that we live our lives. Um, our economy says, if you want bread, you work and you'll get bread. Uh, but Jesus is hinting at something else, and another way of understanding the world, a way of trust and interdependence rather than independence and fair. This way reflects an ancient Jewish understanding that ultimately all good things come from beyond. God, uh, as the creator and sustainer of the world, we are somehow dependent on him uh, or her. We are somehow dependent on what is provided beyond our ability to, to gain it for ourselves. Um, Walter Brueggemann um, talks about this concept of an economy of scarcity versus an economy of abundance. And there are two different ways of looking at the world. And economics of scarcity essentially says there's not enough stuff in the world, so 
Our job is to gather as much stuff as we are able to, cling on to it incredibly tightly, build a small empire for ourselves so that um, when there's lack, we have, even if other people don't. And Economics of Abundance says God has actually made enough stuff in the world um, that we need not fear that what we need to do is learn how to share what we have, that God has provided. um, And it asks for a humility in how we handle what we have and what we produce. Um, And because of the sense of trust, we can actually spend portions of our lives where we stop producing for a moment, where we don't produce out of anxiety and fear, where work isn't driven by this sense that if we stop for a second that we won't have enough or that we'll be missing out on what we could gain, but that uh, we're invited into a rhythm of rest. And the um, Hebrew word for rest is manuha. Manuha says there are times that we can say, I have enough. Manuha says we can share without fear of loss. Manuha also means that we can delight in what we have rather than constantly resent what we don't. Um, It's a model in Genesis where God creates for six days in a row and creates and creates and creates and says it is good, it is good, it is good and blesses what God has created. And then on the seventh day, rather than spending the seventh day to create more, God actually presses pause on production and instead delights in what has been created, enjoys what has been made, um, immerses God's self in the creation and is grateful and is present and rather than busily producing even more, stops and says, enough, it is good, and that we're invited into that rhythm. We're invited to pause production periodically throughout our lives, throughout our days, and delight in what we have, rather than anxiously um, looking to and fearfully looking to what we don't have. And these two economies are illustrated in the Exodus story. Um, Israel were trapped in Mitzrayim, which is the Hebrew word for Egypt. Egypt was an empire of fear, an empire which constantly produced to become the world's superpower and couldn't stop producing, otherwise they might get overtaken. And so the um, Israelites were slaves held captive to build grain warehouses so that Egypt could hoard all of the grain so that when a famine came, they could sell it to their neighbors and then... um, take them into slavery or into economic bondage as well. And so Egypt or Mitzrayim exemplified this kind of pyramid structure where all of the resources were to be funneled up to the top. Israel cried out in anguish and God delivered them and took them into this middle ground, this transient place called the desert, where they were called to collect manna. Uh, where God said, rather than working feverishly like you have, rather than working ceaselessly, I want you to trust that I will provide and to only collect what you need each day, and each day I will provide for you. Now, God knew that he was calling them into another place, um, into Canaan, where they would be able to work again. But he didn't want their work to be fueled and driven by fear, but instead let their work be fueled by 
gratitude and trust that even though they could work, that God somehow was providing behind the scenes, that their work shouldn't be driven by um, an empire mentality, but it should be driven by a mentality of enough, that when we work, good things come of it, but work isn't the end of life. It isn't the end goal. Uh, So we use this little illustration here um, to look at Mitzram and Manuha. Uh, Mitzram, for Egypt, where achievement becomes master, where dependence is seen as a weakness, there's a stance of constant um, restless discontent, where what we produce defines who we are, where rest as anxiety-inducing, depressed pause makes you anxious. Um, economics of scarcity, expansion at all costs, and where work is endless. And Israel were invited into a life of manuha, where the goal is to be deeply human rather than just to produce, um, where dependence is a gift, um, dependence on God and dependence on each other is actually what it is to be human. Uh, a stance of gratitude rather than fear and discontent. Um, where God is the source of life, where rest is life-giving rather than anxiety-inducing, and economics of God's generosity. Um, and this incredibly countercultural thing for us, I think, in, in the north of being able to say, I have enough, I have done enough. Remarkably difficult discipline to take on. I have enough, I have done enough. And so in Manuha, in rest, we meet the place of delight, where we can press pause on creating more and delight in what we have, where we can truly notice and be deeply grateful, where we celebrate the things that sustain us, um, not just money, not just gold, but relationships and creation and food and sleep and the air that we breathe, where we actually taste the bread rather than just consuming it. So from this framework, we... um, asked a bunch of questions. What is all of our living for? Why do we commit to so much? Why do we devote ourselves to the tasks and priorities that we do? Will we know when we have achieved or acquired enough? What purpose does all of our striving serve? And so from that part, we invited um, people in in our community to talk about different aspects of life. So Rod's going to lead us in this bit here. Crises concluded. Thanks, Shane. Yeah, so as you can see, the, the structure of, the, of today is just getting the big picture, and now we're going to look at what people said about the specific areas of life, and then we'll finish with you thinking about you know, the specifics of your life and how, um, how might this, this might impact that. So what I did was I just sent an email earlier this week all the people who spoke in the second half of the series um, about uh, work and home and creativity and, you know, we had uh, six different areas and they're represented by stations around here, food. Um, And I asked them if they could just send me a line or two um, saying what they hoped the community would get out of what they said. Um, So how this is going to work is... I'm just going to show you slides where I've put up their quotes and give you the chance to read them. And then after you've had a minute to read each slide, I'll just sort of maybe suggest one tiny way in which you might um, apply this and um, something that you might write down on the, on the piece of paper relevant to each area. 
Um, oh, I've gone the wrong way. No, I haven't. Oh, hello. Um, so the first week we talked about Sabbath and, uh, and work and we had the Jackies speaking. Um, so this is from Jackie Martin. Oh, sorry, a bit underneath. So the, the top is a uh, quote from Living the Sabbath that, that we've looked at and then this is what Jackie was um, asked me to share with you. Is there anything else you want to say about that, Jackie? Yeah, it was the bit that I was having doubts about was the um, about the notion of being called holding that lightly, because um, in um, yeah, just I guess just because out of my experience, I think it can feel like a bit of a trap if you feel called to something, but then it's having a really disruptive toll in your life. You can feel really stuck, and there can be a lot of assumptions. That God wants you there. So I think just the importance of opening up that conversation with other people and people with wisdom to unpack that more and not just to work yourself to death because once upon a time you feel like God called you to something, just to be open that that might change and that, yeah, that God's plan continues to work out through your life even if it's not in one specific workplace setting. So I think that's what I meant by that. Yeah, so for the benefit of those listening to the podcast. Actually, I had this idea that um, yeah, we should create a folder, like a little Google Drive folder that we can share with you to view, not edit, um, so that you can have access to these, <laughs> to these PowerPoints if you're listening to the podcast. But yeah, Jackie was just talking about the idea of calling, and I think it can, if, if we bring a Mitzrayim mindset to the idea of calling, it can really be a slave driver to our life rather than something which really nourishes and brings life. So I think that's really profound. Did you want to say anything about what you said, Jackie? For me, it's um, knowing what your warning signs are that you're slipping out of that space and being they change in life. It's not one set of warning signs that you've got to watch for your whole life, that work has become striving. Um, it's changing what they are for different seasons and what you're not willing to compromise, because I think it's dangerous when you start compromising things is when it starts heading the wrong way, either the number of hours you work or the role you're doing for money or any of those things. So it's got to be values-driven to some degree. Yeah, and one of the great things about pressing pause and resting is that you can have that opportunity to reflect on what, what, is, what does my work life feel like right now and does it feel like Mitzrayim or does it feel like Manuha? Um. Then Dan um, talked to us about food. Um, I'll get you to read this, Dan. Just uh, realise we should help out those podcast people. Reading about Sabbath and the food creation made me think of how our manuha is closely linked with that of all creation, which we find easy to abuse and destroy by distancing ourselves from it and commodifying the food that it provides. I hope that our sharing help others reflect on how we can find rest and recreation through observing God's love and nature and by partnering with God in its recreation. Yeah, I think um, it speaks for itself. I'm probably just the whole idea of 
you know, we are atomized. The whole the breakage and links between our communities is also, you know, exemplified with our breakage and the links between us and, and creation. So, and we we've got a part to play in reversing that and being reconnected. Yeah. So that was the thing I thought would be good to think about when you're thinking about the area of food. Just a simple thing that you might do in your life to reconnect with where your food comes from and um, what's involved in its production. Um, so Matt's out the back and Fleur is not here, so I'll just quickly read these. Um, so this is Sabbath and home. So Fleur said, when considering Sabbath and home, I hoped that those listening would find ways to connect with family, their biological family or their surrogate family, by inviting others in. And this applied equally to those with a family and those in need of a family. As if you think about the kind of um, scarcity and abundance, it's easy to apply that to our own notion of family, to go, if I have family, I need to kind of wall it off and protect it so it provides my needs. And the idea of having an open sense of family that invites others in and that makes connections beyond the kind of traditional, you know, nuclear family or whatever, I think that's where Fleur was heading. And she, she talked in that week about living with uh, as a family living with single people for a number of years and the impact that had on them. And then Matt um, shared how uh, Jackie and his family had done the atypical thing of moving into the inner north for, for less space but more connectedness. In preparing and delivering my words, he says, I was challenged to think of the various other ways I'd adapted to the dominant cultural stream without question, including various aspects of my faith and Christian practice. So Matt and Jackie and the boys moved in from Eltham um, where they had more space. They had to drive everywhere to somewhere where they could feel more connected to their location. Um, yeah, so again, as you think about home in that station, you might think about um, what is your family? Yeah. What is your family and how might it be more an open sense than a closed sense of family? Um, so... Um, another Matt and Sarah and I um, talked about education and I just thought the dominant thing for me is that I want my children to be educated to see and to love the created world in the way that I never was. I think my education is an incredible disconnection from, from the created world. Uh, and in Living the Sabbath, um, it talks about that fact that we don't, learn these days things like growing and preparing food how to raise a family how to judge quality how to maintain a home how to practice hospitality and how to make a toy so it makes it very as you think about things to write down yeah they don't have to be abstract they can be very very practical things i want to learn how to make a toy or i want to learn how to sew um uh is josh, where's josh John. Uh, do you want to read your quote this is creativity, Sabbath and creativity. Um, yeah, for me, this one is just this quote from Sufyan just helps me think about um, living the Sabbath um, in relation to art, but also through to conversation and activities. Um, so in every circumstance, giving a speech or tying my shoes, I am living and moving and being. This absolves me from ever making the embarrassing effort to gratify God and the church by imposing religious content on anything I do. 
Um, so I guess just that that idea of freeing yourself from having to strive for your faith and letting the very uh, core of your faith um, live and be in you to allow yourself to remain in a place of rest rather than a place of striving. Um, so what I got out of preparing to talking to talk, sorry, I wrote this very late last night. So it's full of probably full of typos. What I got out of preparing to talk about creativity in the Sabbath was that to make good art that connects with people, you have to be willing to be vulnerable and generous within your art. Which um as I've said up there, connects with the idea of living the Sabbath because I think to live a life with grace at the centre, you also have to be vulnerable and generous. Um, but the conundrum is that to be generous, you have to believe that the things you have are things to be shared and given freely. And you have to be confident that the things you offer are worth something. And to be vulnerable in front of other people, you have to trust that what you offer will be received with grace and also believe that other people can offer things back. Does anyone want to say anything more about that? The only thing I wanted to add to that is that I think it connects really powerfully to what Jane wrote in Weekly Notes this week, which is about the way we as a community um, respond to people up the front who are singing or speaking. And that um, that sense of if, if art is to create connection, then um, there has to be a, yeah, it has to be a loop, yeah, yeah. And the best, Exactly. So the best performances take place in the context of a beautiful, responsive audience. And I guess for us to take on that challenge as a community that when people are at the front being vulnerable, taking the risk to offer something, knowing that they f- they are going to question whether it's of any worth, that the, the wonderful gift we can... Sorry? Yeah, no matter how confident they seem, exactly, that... Um, that we have a beautiful gift to offer, which is just attention and nodding <laughs> and smiling and interrupting. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, Susie, the gift of interrupting. Um, exactly. Uh, because, yeah, I had, had this experience on, uh, we had a board meeting the other night and I um, wrote a song the night before and thought, oh, I'll just, I'll share it with the board as a kind of reflective way to start and it's, it's just incredible the way you think oh that's a good idea and then as soon as you start to offer this thing you think this is the most profoundly humiliating thing I've ever done in my entire life <laughs> um, yeah so be offer stuff and be kind to those that do yeah um, did you want to quickly talk about this one Shane the identity or read it at least yeah this is not actually a quote from Michael Frost I wrote it for him but we're that, we're that close. We're just about one person anyway. Um, other than my limbs are longer than his. We, <laughs> we find it hard to see how our culture works against the life of Manuha because so often it seems like the only way. By being confronted with, with another culture, new possibilities become apparent. For example, when introducing yourself in Māori, you begin with your mountain and your river before moving through your tribe and ancestry, then your immediate family before finally arriving at yourself. This is starkly different to our custom of only giving our name and occupation. Um, yeah, so Frosty was just talking about, um, yeah, it's hard to see culture because we swim in it all the time. And, um, yeah, if we um, 
we have a lot to learn from other cultures about the way we operate and um and by opening ourselves to another can um surprise us in um the ways we can become more human and the ways we can connect deeper yeah thanks frosty Dr. Fro oh, yeah, yeah. So last, was it last week that he was here? Yeah. So last week he didn't have his PhD and now he does. So that's very exciting. Um, so I just want to finish with this quote again from um, Living the Sabbath. In a time of consumerist individualism, often empty of generosity and delight, we need practices that can lift us out of our narrowness and alienation. Sabbath life can move us into nothing less than the love of God a love that is stronger and more joyous than all our pain and suffering, more expansive and encompassing than our loneliness and fear, more life-giving than our sickness and death.